Good morning, Kat. Good morning, Shelley. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm really good. Uh, we've got another tremendous uh, podcast guest on this morning that I've been hanging out to talk to. Um, welcome, Kate Nipress. How are you? Good, thanks. Hi, Shelley. Hi, Kat. Excellent. So good to have you this morning. Thanks yeah. for having me. We uh, we believe you got a story that we that people need to hear, um, and we're going to start off with our interview question. So, Kate, what's your elevator story? If you only had two minutes to tell someone who you are and what you did, what would you say? Well, who I am and what I do can really be summed up in one word, and that's horses. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been into horses my entire life. I started riding when I was four, wow. grew up competing in all different equestrian events. Um, I worked as a professional groom and at a stud and then I got into racing when I was around 20. Wow. Yeah, I worked in racing for about 10 years. I worked as a jockey, track work rider, did some breaking in, absolutely loved it. I wanted to be a racehorse trainer. and then. On July 28th, 2016, I was galloping a horse at Warwick Farm. Uh, a horse got loose on the same track and it galloped the wrong way and around a bend past the post we had a head-on collision. Mm. I suffered a lot of injuries but the most long-lasting one was a spinal cord injury at T10 which left me a paraplegic so I'm now in a wheelchair, rely on a wheelchair. And uh, the worst thing for me was not being able to ride. Like, of course, yeah. it's a shock realising you may not be able to walk again. But for me, not being able to ride was the, the worst thing that could ever have happened to me. Mm -hmm. Riding was my whole life. It had got me through any tough times I'd gone through in life. Riding was what got me through. Mm -hmm. And now I was faced with a lifetime of not being able to ride. Yeah. Wow. So it was, uh, it, was a, it was a very dark time for quite a few years. I mm. became obsessed with trying to walk again. I was getting a little bit of recovery back because I thought I needed to walk in order to be able to ride. Yeah. But um, in recent years I've realised that's not the case. Yeah, wow. Mm. Ah, so what range of movement do you have? Like so... Um, I have what's called an incomplete injury. So I have feeling below my spinal cord injury. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of muscle activation, but it's it's not really enough to be useful. Um, I have a lot of involuntary movement called spasms and spasticity, yeah. which um, is very detrimental. <laughs> it yeah. makes life difficult. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I can move my toes a little bit, like nothing significant. Yeah, so you can um, see, I can really see how... <laughs> That can be devastating on all fronts, but when you have lived and breathed horses and horses mm -hmm. your life, they were your career, they were your dream, that was where you headed, I can see how much it just wasn't a hobby, it was everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I dislike when people use the word to to most of us that are into horses, hobby, because it's not our hobby, is it? It's, it's, our, life. it's, our, it's our career for a lot of us. It's it's who That's we are, correct. as I said. It's yeah. what we do and it's, it's who not, we are. Not just some pastime that you No, that we do on a Saturday morning. No, you <laughs> it's our that, whole world. That is very yeah. good. I'm really glad you picked me up on that because that's, yeah, I love that. It's not just a hobby. 
Yeah, I love that. I'm just going to write that down. <laughs> it's, it's a lifestyle, really, isn't it? A if you're into horses, it has yeah. to be your whole life, or yeah. you have to be all in or not do it. Yeah. yeah. So, so sorry. Kate, what do you do now in terms of writing? So, well, about a year and a half ago, I heard about uh, a charity called Equine Pathways, which yep. helps people who have suffered injury or illness get back into riding, um, mainly competitive riding. And I contacted Julia Adams, who runs and started EPA, and I went out to one of their clinics and that was just a pinnacle point in my life post-injury. I realised that there was this whole world of riding that was still available to me. Uh, Julia mentioned the word Paralympics and I couldn't believe it that something like that could be a possibility after thinking that, there was no future for me in horses. Yeah, right. I was I was just so excited. I've just thrown myself into that now, and I'm competing in in para dressage. I managed to find a beautiful, beautiful horse named SW Cruiser or Cruz, we call him, yeah. and he's he's so lovely. He's so safe and quiet because I have to effectively be tied onto him we have velcro straps that hold us on and elastics and so they're things that would break in in a dire situation but you you're pretty well tied onto them so you want to have a lot of faith in the animal more more than I've ever had to have in a horse in my life whether riding in races or track work I've never had to trust a horse so much as I do now being tied onto them whereabouts are you based I live in Mortlake which is near Olympic Park in yep. Sydney, uh, Cruz currently lives at Centennial Park. Yeah, in in the city. Lovely. Because uh, Julia's go down, down to... here in Victoria, isn't she? Yeah, Julia's down there. Yeah, yep. Cruz is down there at the moment. We just went to uh, para nationals or dressage nationals, yep. oh, yes. para classes down there. So Cruz is spending a little bit of time with Julia while he's down there. Lovely. Yeah. So how did you get into horses? Well, my family are not horsey at all, not at all. My whole family are in show business and they thought they thought that I would follow the family business and tried to make me a dancer and I just had no interest at all. But my mum told me that from when I was a little baby, she when they'd be driving, they'd hear me squealing in the back seat and she was trying to work out what was wrong with me. And then eventually she said to my dad, it's the horses. Whenever they drove past horses was just something in in my DNA that just drew me to horses. So then as soon as I could talk, it was horses and ponies and I want to ride. And I'm always very grateful that my parents are being successful in what they do. They're very firm believers in if you're going to do something, you do it properly, learn how to do it properly. So although they know nothing about horses, my mum went to the local horse land and asked who the best horse riding instructor is in the area. So she took me to this big dressage school in Wilberforce and Barbara Shields ran it, uh, Willow Park. Yeah. And there were no kids there. It wasn't a kids riding school. And Barbara said to my mum, she's four years old, so you're going to be wasting your money because we'll just be doing the same thing over and over for years. Mum said, I won't be wasting my money because I want her to learn properly. So I went there a few times a week from when I was four to when I was 11 when I got my own pony. 
Wow. And um, it's always stood me in good stead learning correctly, learning how to ride properly from the start. Yeah, wow. That is yeah. incredible that your parents and your family would support you to do it that way. That is. Yeah. They, I mean, they were always worried about me doing something so dangerous. And then when I got into racing, they were shaking their heads, but they they knew how much I loved it. And yeah. even now after what's happened to me, I don't regret any any choices that I made. Uh, someone said to me not long ago, if you knew this was going to happen to you, would you still have gone into racing? And I said, absolutely. Yeah, It was worth every second of it. And if I suddenly got better, I would do it again. Yeah. I loved it that much. It was worth anything. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> All right. Now I've got a question for you. Okay. Um, so who do you rate as the most important influencer in your beliefs about working and training horses? Now you have such a diverse understanding, so this could span racing or dressage or what you do now. So I can't wait to hear your answer to this question. Oh, Am I, am I only allowed one person? No, you can no, you you got so many um avenues into the equestrian world. You can name a name a few. Okay, <laughs> well, I've, I've got a few. I've got a few. Um, I mean, I had some fantastic instructors as a kid, as I mentioned, Barbara Shields. Um, yeah. Then, as when I was a bit older, Kathy Cupid coached oh, coached me, wow. and uh, I learned a lot a lot from her. Then, working professionally with horses, I was very lucky to work at Mullower's stud when Greg Andrews oh, wow. was running it and yeah. I worked under him and I learned so much from him about working with young horses we used mm. to get the weanlings and educate them to do everything like they'd just come off their mum we taught them to lead to tie up to lunge to be clipped and it was a real privilege learning from Greg um he taught me how to handle the breeding stallions and I was only 18 19 it was wow. It was a great experience for someone from a non-horsey family to yeah. learn so much. Um, another ma- major influence in my life was Guy Walter, who I was apprenticed to. Oh, wow. Yeah. For those who don't know much about racing, he's one of the all-time great trainers in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion. He had some some champion, champion horses. Um, but what was... I suppose in a way unique about him, his horses had such longevity. We had mares that were winning Group 1 races at seven and eight years old. Yeah, wow. He He could just read a horse. He knew what they needed, how to keep them. So how to keep them. So what do you reckon was the combination of all those things by reading the horse, how he cared for them, how he spelled them? He get those extra years out of them. Many, many people, most people in racing or any any horse discipline love horses, but he yeah. he really loved horses, and everything came from a place of what's best for the horse. Yeah, wow. And he would really take his time. He'd walk around the stables after track work, and he'd just look at them. He'd lean over the over the stable door or on the yard gate and just look at them and he knew what they needed after we worked them before we worked them we'd walk around him for a long time and he'd just run his eye over them and assess them and he was never in a rush ever he wow. took his time and was all about what was best for the horses and um that was one of my one of my first jobs riding track work so when I got there I'd I'd worked a little bit for Matthew Smith and ridden ridden a bit there but I wanted to just be a, a full-time rider and yeah. Guy gave me the opportunity to do that. And he said to me, if you come in on Sundays, I'll have the time to teach you. A, a lot of big trainers don't 
have the time yeah. to go in on Sundays, but he was always there, the first one there. And I'd we'd ride in the bull ring on a Sunday, which was a small track, so they couldn't sort of get too much of a run on you or bolt on you or anything. And he said, yeah. it'll be a good time for you to learn how to ride more difficult horses because during the week I had to ride ones that were a bit easier out on the track. Mm-hmm. And he'd stand at the gate of the bull ring and, and coach me in how to ride these harder pulling horses and horses that were very difficult. Wow. And um, I got, yeah, again, I was very privileged to, from a non-horsey family to be able to be taught by someone like that. Um, I ended up yeah becoming apprentice to Guy. He gave me the opportunity to become a jockey, which was something I never thought would have been possible. Yeah. Um, unfortunately and tragically, Guy passed away. Yeah. Um, about six years after I started working for him. Yeah. And that led me to working for another incredible horseman, who's probably one of the biggest influences in my life, and that's Tim Martin. So I did breaking in with him. He trained racehorses out at his property as well. But um, I learned so much there, so much. Um, A lot of we broke in for some big trainers like Chris Waller and and Gay Waterhouse. So a lot of the horses we'd get from them had been through a sale. So they were quite well handled. They'd had a yearling prep. But some of the small owners we had, they would send us horses that they'd bred on their property, so they were fold down yeah. in a paddock with their mum, weaned, put in another paddock, and they they just sort of lived Never like been wild off the horse. Yeah. Yep, they'd be chased onto a truck. They'd get off the truck at our place, and they, they were like a brumby. You yeah. couldn't get near them. Wow. And I used to think, how is Tim going to break this horse in? Couldn't even catch them. And within a week, he'd be he'd be riding them. Yeah, I learned so much from him, and he was a very a very, again, lo- loves horses so much, could read a horse like we can read a book. Mm. Um, it was a, he's a very gentle, calm trainer. The methods he used, we used a, a pony to break them in so that it was, was not traumatic for them at all. So some of those horses we couldn't get near. At first we would put them in a yard for a few days or so with one of the lead ponies and the pony would teach the foal, I mean the, the yearling, that we were okay then yeah, when they'd wow. start the breaking in process, they'd be with that pony again. So they had that security. Yeah. So it was wow. never never stressful for them. Yeah, um, yeah he's an, an incredible horseman. And then in recent times, Julia Adams, who's yeah. taught me about para dressage and a lot more about dressage that I didn't know. She's she's an incredible trainer and coach and support in my life. God, what a what a Good list of influences in your yeah, life. Yeah, great story. <laughs> I think, so you, sorry, Kat, go on, go on. I'll ask my question next. You can ask um, your question. You go. I was like, just going to ask, you were an apprentice jockey. Did you ever have any wins or places? Yeah, I had a lot of places. Um, yeah. I rode a winner at Armadale, um, yeah. a horse called Chief Seattle who'd had 25 starts and not won a race and mm. I drew barrier one on him which is always an advantage as an apprentice because you you yep. jump out you're already on the fence yeah he had a bit of gate speed and um we kicked up and led and and won by five lengths so that was an enormous thrill not only did okay. I get to become a jockey but to to win a race is, is something I could only have dreamt of growing up yeah, very it, was, cool. it was very amazing Okay, I just had to ask that. Okay, Kat, you can go to the next question now. If you could change one thing that people understood about horses, what would it be? Uh, I feel compelled to advocate for 
racehorses or ex-racehorses. I so often hear people saying racehorses are badly educated, they're poorly broken in, they have no mouth, and it's just through people not understanding. And yeah. I just feel feel really sorry for the horses um, because they're so well-educated, they're so well-trained to do what they're bred to do. Um, yeah. There are some incredible breakers and riders in the racing industry. It's like getting Usain Bolt and asking him, to do a gymnastics routine and then criticising him because he's not trained in it. Yeah, exactly. like you can't, you can't yeah. compare the two. Um, all you have to do is watch the races and you see in the run of the race, the jockeys have their hands down and still, they don't move them. And then when you straighten up and you want the horse to start moving through their gears, they'll lift their hands up, they go for a hold, so they shorten their reins and start moving their hands. So if you get a racehorse off the track, and you get on it with your hands up off its neck like you would ride an equestrian horse and then you shorten your reins and the horse starts to take off, that's what he's been trained to do. Yeah. He's doing what he's been educated to do. He's not badly educated. He's educated to do a job and it's 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 not dressage. You have to yeah. teach him how to do that. So I just wish that more people understood that because yeah. racehorses have got so many uh, possibilities of what they can do once they've been retired, but they just need to be re-educated. They're not badly educated. They're doing what they've been trained to do. Like yeah. all animals, they're always trying to do what they think you're asking. Yeah, no, well, you're yeah. totally on my book. You're totally <laughs> yeah, Sally is all yeah, no, so I'm, the, uh, I'm a massive off-the-track thoroughbred fan. Um, my thing is you just got to untrain the racehorse, so you'll um, – so you're like that. I find them um, incredibly easy to train. They've got mm. a thought that you can just bend around. Um, yeah. And they're, they're like lazy lounge lizards, really. <laughs> they're not yeah. crazy, hyped up or whatever. They're lovely like greyhounds. Exactly, yeah. Um, the, I, the other thing with them is they're, they're actually very quiet. They've been they exposed are. to so much more <clears throat> than any other sort of horse right. has been. Like crowds, speakers, exactly. flags, drunk people at the races. Yeah. They're very quiet. Um, but yeah. they've that's just been they, trained to do a job and they're trying right. to still do that. They don't understand they've been Amen. retired. No one told them. <laughs> no, no one told them. They've been trained to do a very specific job and, as you said, to do that job very well. Yeah. But all you've got to do is untrain that because the thoroughbred has also had this massive bank of experience, which is so important. Mm. All yeah. those changes of environment, all those crazy yeah. environments, all that noise, all that travel, all that transport, yeah. all that galloping, yeah. all that cantering, yeah. all that movement, all those different people on their back, you know, yeah. that's all like tick, 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 tick. Yeah, they're desensitised to so many things in yeah. such a short period of time. Like you can get a three- or four-year-old racehorse and mm. they're, they're pretty bomb-proof as far as you couldn't throw anything at them that they probably haven't already seen. Yeah, 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 so I'm a total advocate for <laughs> what you're saying. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and cat always rolls her eyes at me. Well, um, sorry, as a farrier, I just, I, yeah, I think I see a lot of them in homes where they shouldn't be. Yeah, that's right. They still require yeah, yeah. and they require a lot of structure and not many people are able to provide that. Well, they, yeah, a lot of them in in years gone by have ended up with bad outcomes because yeah. of that. Like we, we've we always 
tried very hard to rehome them somewhere somewhere really good. I mean, there are very strict rules now with rehoming them. When you want to retire a racehorse, you have to make an application in New South Wales anyway. Yeah, say wow. where the horse is going, what it's going to be used for, the address, the phone number, so they can follow up on where it is. But then where they might end up three or four homes down the track. Yeah, that but that's not the racing industry's fault. That's just the fact that someone yeah. said, "I'll I can take this horse on." That's yeah. not competent to take them on, and then the poor horse gets blamed and you know put yeah. through a sale or something. Yeah, well, so it's I, important they go to good people. Yeah, that, that can set them up for a good future. Yeah, and, and as you said before, I absolutely agree with you. Their athleticism, they're good. They're great out all rounders. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're they can fantastic. do anything. Well, if you have a lot of people that I meet that have got um, crossbreeds, like draft crosses and things like that, they're trying to do dressage with them. Mm. They're running into problems because those horses struggle with the athleticism required in what they're wanting the horse to do. Mm. Thoroughbred, with their great all-rounding skills, it's yeah. just like, yeah, when you get their minds and you teach them the job and you unteach the job that they've learned to do really well they are incredible horses so this is just yeah. my opportunity to be able to say that again because it's one of my favorite things to say that's so good amen to your thought right. Kate <laughs> <laughs> all right I got another question for you um now so ah this is a good one so if you were going to write a book what would it be about oh uh, my book would be about my journey of overcoming this injury that was thrown at me um, to help other people that are going through a similar thing. I um, I worked for a few years as a, a peer support coordinator for a spinal cord injury charity. Yeah. So I would go into the hospitals where people, to the spinal wards where people had just been injured and help them. And a lot of them were in the place that I had been in where you just can't see a way out. You don't know how you're going to live like this. And to have someone who's been there and been through it and come out the other side telling you that you can do it yeah. is a, a tool that not many people have access to. So if I was to write a book, it was, would be so that a lot of people could access my what, what I've suffered through so that it, my suffering isn't in vain if I could help others through it. Yeah. So can I ask you a bit about that? So I just I close my eyes now and I'm thinking all the challenges that would be in front of you. First mm. of all, they'd just be the complete elimination of your identity of who you were. Yeah. The amazing of that would be a mentally and emotionally confronting of everything that you think gone. Yeah. Then the physical injury itself like the pain and the discomfort mm. to learn to just having your ability to move taken away from you, like that must have been torturous. It was. Um, as you say, yeah. the pain, I guess the pain would be the first thing. When I was injured, I was knocked out momentarily and mm. I woke up on the track and the pain that I felt is indescribable. I didn't realise you could feel that much pain and still be alive. Wow. I, I can't describe how painful it was. It felt like, well, it was what had happened. It felt like someone had snapped my body in half and that's basically what, what had happened. happened. Holy crap. It yes. was excruciating. I'm still in pain. I've been in pain in my back since my accident. Yes. So that's just something that 
I've had to learn to deal with and manage the best yeah. I can. But the, the the worst pain was, as you say, losing my identity. I worked six to, six to seven days a week yeah. in wrestling. I was getting up at two or three in the morning, riding truck work during the day and breaking in uh, in the morning, breaking in during the day, going to race meetings. I was flat out all the time. And then suddenly I was stuck lying in a hospital bed. I was in hospital for nine months. And then even when I got out of there, it was probably even harder because then I was back in reality. I was back in my house up the road from Warwick Farm Racetrack and I couldn't move. You know, I was stuck sitting on the lounge for someone who had been so active. I'd lost who I was and my my identity, as you say, it was it was very tough. There's um there's a lot more to a spinal injury than just being paralyzed and not being able yeah. to move. All the function below that injury is affected. So bladder and bowel function is affected. Um, as I've mentioned before, spasticity. So you have spasms yeah. and tremors in your legs that you can't control. There's a there's a lot to it, a lot to get your head around from being a young, healthy person. Yeah having all these health problems that you have to deal with. I spent a few years only leaving the house to go to physio to try and Im- improve my function or a medical appointment. Other than that, I wouldn't go out. I felt ashamed to be seen for some reason. I was I was embarrassed and I, it just became worse and worse. So um, I would... As you said before, if I could write a book, I would write one to try and prevent anyone else doing that. That's why I did that job in the hospitals. I don't want anyone to waste years of their life yeah, being ashamed so or scared. Can I ask, was there one thing or a few things or was it just time? What made you rise, like, out of that place? What was it? Was there a moment? Was there just something? What was um, it? The the main thing I would say, um, I, I was on a, a support group on like a social media support group and I made friends with a girl around the same age as me who had a, a higher injury and we got along really well. And I went to meet her for lunch one day and she didn't know this, but that was actually one of the first times I had gone out socially in my wheelchair and it was years after I got injured and I was talking to her a bit about how much I struggled with accepting it all and just getting on with life and she said that she played wheelchair rugby and she said the guys there changed her life she said you should come why don't you come so I, I, I agreed to go and I went there and I was sitting in the car I couldn't get on to her and I was about to drive off and then she came out and that was life-changing, that decision to not leave. And I went in there and she was right about those guys. They um, they were amazing people. One in particular who's one of my best friends now. Yeah. He's, a, he's a Paralympian and world champion rugby player. Richard yeah. Boris is his name. Yeah. And he spent a lot of time talking to me after training and and helping me and I trained over the summer with him because he said does anyone want to train when the season finishes because he had the Paralympics coming up within 12 months and I said well I didn't have anything going on in my life and I said (laughs) I'm you probably don't want me but I'm I'm happy to come and train I'd love to have something like that to do because I wanted to be fit again and after that training session I realized what athletes they were and he said yeah you 
I'll I'll have you. So you've got an athlete's mentality, like you've worked hard in horse racing, you understand what it takes, I'll, I can train you. Yeah. So I went there, I was training three or four days a week with him and he, he helped me so much but he said, what is it that bothers you so much about being in a wheelchair? Yeah. It made me like think about what 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 it was that was troubling me so much and I said, I think it's because I hate people pitying me. Like people used to look at me as, you know, someone who could do a very skilled job and I could ride horses that a lot of people couldn't ride and people would look at me in a in a positive light and I said now I feel like people are, are pitying me even when I go out in public like oh look at that poor girl in the wheelchair and he's a quadriplegic so he has arm function but his hands aren't very good and he said do you feel sorry for me and I laughed at him because he was he was so fit he was amazing what he could do and he said no why don't you feel sorry for me I'm a quadriplegic and I didn't really know. I said, I, I, I don't know, actually. He said, it's because I'm a weapon. He said, I can do anything. I put, you're a para. I put you to shame. He said, I put most able-bodied people to shame. I'm so fit. He said, I can do anything an able-bodied person can do. It might just take me a bit longer and I do it in a different way. He said, and you're a para. Your hands work. What's your excuse? <laughs> and laughed. I said, you can do anything. He said, have people look at you. And not feel sorry for you, but think, look at this girl. She's in a wheelchair. Look what she can do. Yeah. Yeah. He said, put all your effort into being a weapon. So I did. Yeah. And that 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 was the turning point. He he changed my life. He always says, You saved yourself. And when I say you saved me, but he did. I just needed an example of someone that was yeah. in my position that had got to the uh, the pinnacle of of their sport and that was you know fit and something I could aspire to I needed someone that was in a wheelchair yeah. to for me yeah. to listen to them you know I wouldn't listen to anyone else who was trying to tell me it would be okay or you can do this you can do yeah. that I think it's all right for you you can walk yeah. you know but he was worse off than me so I listened yeah, to him I that was the turning point for sure yeah, wow I think that's also like a really great example of community you have to find people that you can relate to that are like you so that you can sort of move from there too. I always say you've got to find your people. You've got to yep. find your tribe, whatever yep. that is, whether you're in a wheelchair or not, you've got to find your people. There are some people that are, have my injury that don't want to be an athlete and aren't, don't have the same mentality as I do, but you have to find people that are in your position that do, that aren't going to just lie down and think, oh, well, I'll just won't do anything anymore because I've, I'm a paraplegic. You've got to find people that say, so what? It's not an excuse. <laughs> and that's why I always say it's not an excuse. It might be harder yeah, because I'm in a wheelchair, but just because something's harder for you, it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. No one said life was going to be fair. No, You might have to work harder to right. achieve something. It's going to mean more when you get there. Yeah. Very, very true. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about the horses you have at the moment and what they like to work with? I just have one horse, uh, mm. my my para dressage horse Cruise. Yeah. Um, he has probably taught me more than any horse in in my career that I've worked yeah. with, just because of the the bond and trust and connection that I've had to build with him, mm. as I mentioned before, more than 
more than I ever have before. I've got a, I have a tattoo on my arm <laughs> that says cowboy up because it's sort of been my mantra since I got injured and and before it was a little bit too but um I've never had to cowboy up so much as I do now like there's it's pretty daunting riding a horse as a paraplegic um and to have uh the close relationship that I have with crews has taken you know a, a lot of a lot of reading of him and horsemanship skills that I've I've had to develop even further than I've ever had to before. Um I've learned I've learned so much from from working with him and um lessons I've had with him that what I've learned from other people about how to ride as a para rider and yeah. It's, um, it's the most the most special relationship I've ever had with a horse because of what he's given me. Like I get I get emotional talking about it. <laughs> I'd love to know how you met him. How did you he's meet him? him? How did you find him? Uh, well, Julia Battams and I flew all over the country for about a year looking yeah. for a horse. We went to Perth, to Queensland, to Victoria, to Canberra, and we found a lot of lovely horses and many of them were almost right. But they they really have to be a hundred percent right in my yeah. situation, and um, I just I just knew that when when I got on the right horse that I'd know straight away, not be oh is is it right and should we get this one? I knew that one day I'd get on one and I'd just know. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine, I was I was speaking to her, um, Kashaya. Her her mum actually used to work for Tim Martin who I was talking about before, it's a small world, how it all worked yeah. out. And uh, she said, if there's anything I can do to help you, just let me know. And I said, well, I'm, I'm looking for a horse still. And she said, just give me a minute. And she rang a friend of hers, uh, Courtney Larard, who was training crews. And she knew about crews and how lovely and quiet he was. And she rang me back and said, ring Courtney, she's got a horse for you to go and look at. And he was only at Maitland, which is just over an hour from where I live. So after travelling all over the country, I went up there. Uh, Tim came with me and a couple of other friends. And as soon as I got on him, I walked just on the short side of the arena and I knew that he was the right horse. Yeah. Yeah, how wonderful. Yeah. So cool. What specific training do you have to put into a horse that's been ridden by an able-bodied rider in order to make them sort of what you need? Well, they uh, they have to have certain characteristics from the get-go. They have to be relatively forward-thinking because obviously I can't use my legs. Um, yeah. I ride with two two whips, yeah. but, of course, that's, that's... nearly a little bit scary, though, if they have yeah, to be it's... forward-thinking. Forward thinking, but not not too forward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and also a horse that's not going to get offended because it, no matter how lightly you use the whips, they're obviously a, an artificial aid. So they're they're more um, a horse is more reactive to them than they are to your legs. So you need a horse yeah. that's not going to overreact to even a light touch with the whip. Yeah. Um, most horses, as you would all know, already know clicks when you click yeah. at them. So I I get on well any horse that I was looking for, but Cruz I got on him and I'd click and then give him a little tap and he responded straight away. So then eventually 
like with with any sort of training then I could like with voice training a horse on the lunge then yeah. I could take away having to tap with the whip and I'd just click yeah and um it's just a horse that's willing to listen and very responsive um I ask him to come back obviously I use use my hands as well but um when I say whoa he he comes down and if I say a firm whoa he halts he's um he's just picked up on those voice aids very quickly and he's a horse that always wants to do the right thing like really wants to do the right thing he's a very sensitive creature like you couldn't really tell him off for anything he doesn't do anything bad you'd need to tell him off for but he gets very upset if he thinks he hasn't pleased you you know so he's um he he wants to really really wants to do what you're asking so he he always tries to to find what it is and um He's just a, a willing horse, I suppose, very yeah. willing. Um, what breed is he and how old is he? Cruz has just turned eight. Yeah. Um, he's uh, he's by a warm blood. He's by a Wimborne constable and he's out of a Clyde thoroughbred mare. Oh, wow. Lovely. So he's he's definitely thrown to the Clyde nature. He's, he's so laid back. He's the quietest horse I've ever worked with in my life. Okay. <laughs> so so quiet, so laid back. Even if he, even if he is a bit scared of something, he he literally just looks at it. Like he doesn't. He never does anything. If if he does get a big fright, he makes a a good decision. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't obviously get a bomb proof horse. You, you, no. Your horse is always going to get a a fright if something's scary enough. But he doesn't do anything silly. He makes good choices. Um, that's that's probably the the most important component, I suppose. I mean, you need a horse that's talented enough to compete at a high performance level, but you need one that's safe when when you're paralysed. And he's he has both of those things. Now, am I right? Because I did organise, I did see if you were available on Friday, but you were actually at the nationals. As, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we're down yeah. at Bonio Dressage Nationals. It was my, it was my first nationals. How did you go? Uh, we came third. We scored two 63s and a 65. Yeah, well done. Under international judges. So we have a lot to work on, a lot of lot of training for both of us ahead before the next CPEDI at Willinga in February. Yeah, wow, Willinga's, yeah. But, um, I, was, I was happy to score over 60. Um, I actually was unable to ride for 10 days leading into that event. Julia had crews for me because I was admitted to hospital oh, for a no. week. Um, I got an infection from a prior surgery, and it was it was pretty serious infection. Wow. Had to have emergency surgery. Oh, um, I got out of hospital two days before I got yeah. down to Bonia. I had to ride with stitches in my hip so that I didn't split the wound open. So it wasn't an ideal lead up. So I was no. I was pretty happy considering. I think it's impressive just to get down there. <laughs> the rocky road leading in, yeah. <laughs> oh wow! You obviously overcome. Well, that's terrific. <laughs> so I got another question for you. Final question. Yeah. How do you think having horses in your life helps you? I can't imagine not having horses in my life. Yeah. Um, having horses in my life makes it worthwhile. It makes it makes me get out of bed in the morning. It's always been my reason for for being. Really, horses yeah. are. Uh, everything to me but because I had to 
endure those few years without horses in my life, I appreciate it even more now. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've always loved horses with every part of me, but if I d- didn't think I could love them anymore, but but I do now having experienced life without them. Like they're just, I can't imagine the world without without horses in it. They're just, they're who I am. Yeah, absolutely. We can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, now I'm I'm tossing up whether to ask you about something because I was kind of a, a little bit shocked when I heard it. So how many times a week do you ride? I uh, usually six days a week. Now, am I riding that I heard this and I was really quite surprised um, with the National Disability Scheme that you can oh. get support for being able to help you out with your riding activities, yes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true and I'm happy to cut this out of the podcast, but yeah, that's seriously, okay. don't you not get support for um, just, say, getting some help getting on and off cruise? because you don't qualify under some certain grounds for that, like you haven't done enough healing. Or, there's something that, that was fun. Really, I heard that and I was like, I'm going to tell the world that. Crazy. That they, is, um, so can you please? Initially. Just, yeah. Yeah, and initially I applied for NDIS in May. Yeah. Um, they're supposed to respond to you within 21 days. Um, yeah. They didn't respond to me for months. And when they eventually did, I was told that I was being my application was being rejected because yeah. I didn't have a permanent impairment and I had not basically I'd not tried hard enough to seek a cure for my yeah, impairment. And that blew my mind. And, 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 and I'm sorry, but I had to kind of I wanted to put that out there if that's okay. Oh, that's fine. That I, I was, but I was, was so out terrible. I was actually outraged when I heard yeah. It's like, are you mm. serious? You're saying there's a that it's something that can be fixed, and you haven't put mm. enough effort in. Are you? Oh, no. Are you for real? It's like that. What? That's someone ticking a box yeah. because no box exists for what's, what's wrong with you. And I was really quiet. I was outraged. It was. It was a shock. Um, and they they have since uh, reversed their decision. Okay. Um, <laughs> due to. Due to the media contacting them for comment, yeah. It's just yeah. Like since then, they decided to reverse their decision, and I've I've just been approved in the last few days, so oh, I'll so now be able to have some help with uh, what they class as an equine support worker and help lift me on and off the horse. But um, I've been I've been paying for all of that myself up until oh, now, and of course that. there are a lot of other costs that I've had to pay for. Yeah. Everyone has to pay for for themselves. Um. So it's been extra expensive for me not having the NDIS. Yeah, no. So just to find out that there was this amazing person called Kate Nippress, which is doing, you know, really great things with um, in para equestrian. And then to hear your story and then to hear that that happened to you with that is just mind-blowing. But there's this yeah. person, and I know you, you do everything yourself. You don't, um, you know, you handling it all yourself and you're doing it but you know we want to support our para equestrian uh, out there and the good work that you know that you're doing and just promoting that as you said if you can do it and you're in a wheelchair you better look at ourselves in the mirror if you know what I mean <laughs> that tenacious um that tenacious courage and strength and working out 
how to actually do it and get it done. Um, that yeah, I, I would love to know how we can support you or the question community can su- support you because I know over time it's been, um, you know, I've supported a lot of para questions and I'd really like to know how do I support you? How do I support you, Kate? Well, thank you. Well, I actually have a, a GoFundMe page mm-hmm. um, which is called Please Help Me Fund My Paralympic Campaign. <laughs> Which help effectively what it is. Just help me to fund it, please. My para <laughs> a question. What was it? Because it's a para, bit of a long. Paralympic para, campaign. Paralympic campaign. Don't writing that down. Thank you. Good. No, but I no, because I know and I know you're not happy about necessarily us because you're someone that's fiercely tries to do it yourself. But it's just yeah. like, damn it, Kate. <laughs> damn it, Kate. We're people that are out there and we admire what you're doing and um you know, and that feeds back so much good in into the community as well. Because as well, you, you might not like me saying that that's inspirational, but what it is, it, it's just showing and just speaking to you. It's just like no excuses, no excuses to anyone. Yeah. And as that guy that was a quadriplegic said to you, for God's sake, you're a paraplegic. <laughs> You've got your hands. What's your excuse? Yeah, well, it's like all you sitting out there. You're not even a paraplegic. You've got, you know, hands and legs and everything that works. But damn it, what can you do today? <laughs> my favourite saying, another one I have tattooed on my body, is yeah. life is not a matter of holding good cards but of oh. playing a poor hand well. Holy moly, yeah, that is so true. That's one of my favourites. Mm. Oh. So you can't control what happens to you no. but you have complete control over how you handle it. Yeah. No, it's very, and as 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 you mentioned, this is there's post traumatic stress, but there's post traumatic growth. There is happen. that that's all about choosing how you handle it. You can choose to grow from it and learn from it, and use what you've been through to help others so that your own suffering wasn't in vain, or you can be a victim. Yeah, and I I didn't want to be a victim anymore. I was for a little while, and that's normal. It's part of yeah. the grieving process. I don't begrudge anybody who's going through that. Everyone grieves for their own t- period of time, but you have to get to a point for for your own sake, so you're not wasting your life mm. where you dust yourself off and get back on the horse, literally or literally. figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, look, it's it's been an absolute. Um pleasure talking to you um yeah I feel like I've got to go and do something bloody good today now after speaking (laughs) you always know you've spoken to someone good when they leave you feeling like that Um, but thank you very much now if people want to know if they're inspired by your story and want to know more about you is there some do you have a website do you have Uh, I have I have Instagram Instagram great yeah um just kate.nipperus yeah awesome I'm gonna find it now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I like writing it now. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Kate, and, and giving us time and telling your story. And I hope one day you do write a book because I reckon that that's a good story to tell. And thank you to telling us about Beautiful Cruise. And I look forward to taking note of how you're going and everything like that through your competition. And thank you. With that thank power. you so much. With everything. Thanks okay. for having me. No worries. Our pleasure. Right. See you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canter Therapy. You can find us on Facebook on Canter Therapy Podcast. 
And if you'd like to know more about me, Dr. Shelley Appleton, you can find out more about me on my website, calmwillingconfidenthorses.com.au. I'm on social media, Facebook, Dr. Shelley Appleton, Calm, Willing, Confident Horses. And I'm Kat. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Forenza Park Equine Services or Instagram at Forenza Park. If you would like to leave us a rating where you're listening to this podcast, we'd appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing from you.